maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor, the first edition of the post-game podcast of the 2022 season. My name is Brandon Drum. You're here with I'm here with Parker Thune, and so are you all, obviously. But uh, Oklahoma won 45 to 13 over UTEP yesterday, and I think for the most part, everybody should be happy. But there's a contingent of OU fans that aren't right now. And, of course, they're the contingent that's never going to be happy is what it is. But we're going to discuss all that, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, we're going to talk about some freshmen that stood out. We're going to talk about uh, Dylan Gabriel's first game. Brent Venables, obviously, first game as a head coach. How emotional he got after giving a game ball. Uh, we're going to discuss that and, and why he broke down. I mean, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we haven't really discussed publicly that uh i i think you guys are gonna like this podcast a lot uh really a lot uh marcus major reggie grimes uh a few recruits on campus uh the secondary play there's been some questions about that we're gonna discuss it all on this episode of the under the visor sooners postgame podcast so parker after you slept on the game man 45 13 just quick initial thoughts of everything. Uh, I haven't rewatched it just yet. I'm going to have some thoughts on the game after I rewatch it here when we get done with this and after I post the podcast up, obviously. But what are your thoughts? Man, with the exception of one very, very impressive play, courtesy of Gavin Freeman on the 46-yard reverse, his first and thus far only collegiate touch, and it goes for a touchdown tip of the cap to the young walk on from Oklahoma city. But with the exception of that play, man, this was a remarkably nondescript game. I mean, you look at everything about it all the way down to the betting lines. This game went almost exactly as everybody expected it to. I think Vegas mm-hmm. had this game at something like 44 to 14. In essence, your final score 45 to 13 in favor of Oklahoma And there was just nothing that really jumped out at you 
for better or worse, but there was nothing that really jumped out at you uh, positively or negatively about the way that the Sooners play. Now, that is to be expected against a team like UTEP. And as I've said for weeks heading into this contest, Brandon, this was not a game that I was going to put a whole lot of stock into anyway, because the Sooners aren't going to face a reliable litmus test at this point until they host Kansas state on September 24th, because the way that Nebraska has looked to start the season, you'd be very surprised if the Sooners roll up to Lincoln on September 17th and don't take care of business convincingly. So Kent Mm -hmm. state on tap at home next weekend. That's followed by the road trip to Nebraska. And then you come home for what should be your first real test of the season against the Wildcats of Kansas state, a team that I think is very, very talented and has an understated level of talent on both the offensive and the defensive side of the football. So it won't be until September 24th that I'm really putting a ton of stock into the way that Oklahoma looks. People had their critiques and people had things that they singled out uh, and praised. Obviously, it was a phenomenal day for Braden Willis in particular in the past game. Dylan Gabriel didn't have to throw the ball a whole lot, which we expected, but Uh, For the most part, he did what he had to do. The Sooners ran the ball effectively, won the battle in the trenches. It was everything this game needed to be. And that about sums it up from my perspective, Brandon. There wasn't anything about it that needed to get hot taked in the aftermath of this contest. It was simply a resounding, convincing business-like victory to open a Mm -hmm. 2022 campaign uh, that itself opens the Brent Venables era. If there's one thing that really stood out to me, it was the energy in that building yesterday. And you knew that's what, regardless of what, who was standing on the opposite sideline from the Sooners yesterday for game one of the Brent Venables era, you knew that Sooner fans were going to bring the energy. They sold it out, packed over 83,000 people in the palace on the prairie. And I tell you what, in all my years of covering Oklahoma football, I think the loudest I had ever heard that stadium was when Caleb Williams was introduced as the starting quarterback for the first time last season. But in their new pre-roll video that ran yesterday for the first time, when Brent Venables' face flashed on the screen, referred to the previous clips of Sooner Legends and historic plays in the history of Oklahoma football, and he said, they set the standard, we will defend it. I've never heard the stadium get half that loud. So that was a fun moment. Uh, it was just a fun day, all things considered, uh, to be a part of the dawn of the Venables era at Oklahoma. But as far as the game itself, very nondescript. And I think that's how you would have preferred it if you're an Oklahoma fan. You didn't want any significant storylines coming out of this game. You just wanted to win a game in convincing fashion, the way that you should against an opponent that was clearly inferior. And that's what Oklahoma did. Yeah. I obviously I didn't get to see <laughs> that part. I, for those that don't know, I got stuck in traffic trying to get to the game from San Antonio. Cause I went down and watched Anthony Evans and Colton Vasek play the night before stopped in temple, Texas, stayed the night, woke up, left my hotel at like 9. A.M. And somehow didn't make it until two <laughs> thirty. A four-hour drive took me almost six hours because, thanks to the man that decided to jackknife his travel trailer with a win a brown Winnebago on the back of it, I want to thank him. 
He shut down all of I-35. To be fair, I don't think he decided to do that. I'm I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just bitter because of that. I, I'm I'm glad he was okay. You could tell he was okay. He was standing outside his truck, just looking at it, just befuddled. <laughs> like, 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 what just happened? <laughs> so, I mean, it, yeah, it, it stinks that that happened. Um, I saw another wreck that obviously this one was not good uh, later on. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, I got up there, missed that part, unfortunately, but what I, I, you know, I did, my wife did send it cause she videoed it from the stands where she was sitting with the kids. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, the first thing that came to mind was they showed like, you know, Bud, Barry, Bob, you know, they got Chuck Fairbanks, like all these people throughout the year is inside and they're going to defend that standard that all those coaches set. Right. Well, Muleshoe won five Big 12 titles, took him to four playoff games, or three playoff games in his. Bob took him to one. At what point do they put him in the intro promo? It's got to be down the line because time heals all wounds. Does but it? He's going to have, he's got to be in there at some point. I know Does fans time heal this wound. Me. I don't know. But everything, you know, he's 55 and 10 as a head coach at some point. He set a standard. I don't, good or bad, there was a standard set at some point. Offense, I don't, I mean, he had two Heisman winners, two number one draft picks. You know, I I know people are going to disagree with that a lot because of everything. But I, that was my first thought is at what point do they decide to put Lincoln Riley in that intro video? I wouldn't do that for the next decade. If I'm them, but I would never do it. I would never do it. Never. Maybe that's fair. Maybe literally a hundred years from now when everybody that was alive to watch Lincoln Riley coach (laughs) Oklahoma football has passed. At that point, that might be the only time at which it becomes acceptable. That's fair. I probably agree with you. Actually. I just, that just came to mind. I know it was like just a random thought, but it came to mind. I was like, dude, when are they going to put him on there because of his win percentage was stupid good. So, and he won a lot of games. He just couldn't close it out in the playoffs. So, and I think that's something that, I mean, Fairbanks didn't win a title either, but he's part of the defend the standard legacy because of how good he made the program before Barry Switzer. And Brandon, I can already, I can hear the YouTube commenters furiously pounding out on their keyboards uh, Shut their, up, Brandon! critiques of your pro mule shoe sentiment. I'm not pro. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I am anti mule shoe. If anybody's heard me speak for a long time, you know that this was just a thought in my head that because of the defend the standard, obviously, when you've won that many straight Big 12 titles. And you've been to the playoffs that many times. That's part of the standard one way, one way or the other, good or bad, ugly or pretty. It's part of the standard and the fabric of Oklahoma history, is it not? It is. That is fair. Okay. Okay. That's all I'm saying. So before you all rip me, that is the only question (laughs) I'm asking because it is part of the history. It's part of what we saw for the better 
for the majority of the last half decade. For seven years, Lincoln Riley was a part of that program. So, I mean, and he was a mainstay in that program. Do I agree that he needs to not be a part of it? Yes, he doesn't need to be a part of it right now. But at some point, when you throw in Lincoln Riley, when you throw in Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, he is he's linked to them no matter what. He is. He is 100% linked to them. You can turn your cheek to that part of that link and just say Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and just leave it alone. And I, I think that's probably – you and I both probably think that's what they're going to do for the rest of time, right? They're going to acknowledge one portion of that connection and not the other, right? That'll inevitably be what ends up happening, yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I digress. That was just when you brought that up. That was like the first thing that came to mind. I thought about it when I watched it. I was like, oh, God, can you imagine if they put him on there? And I think the booze would just resonate for thousands of miles. <laughs> oh, people would throw things. There would be <laughs> objects thrown. By the way, just so you all know, I brought this up just totally as a troll. Just so you all know, just totally trolling on the podcast. So, so you're, not relax, active, you're not actively PMSing? That's what we're going to call no. pro mule shoe sentiment from now on. No, I'm pro not. mule shoe you know sentiment PMS more than anybody. Uh, I totally disagree with how he handled things, and I can't stand his way of thinking and the things that he said since he's been at uh, USC. You and I both know this. We've done podcasts over this. All we do is rip him. So, no, it was just an interesting thought when I saw the defend the standard because at some point. He is part of the standard one way or the other, good or bad, unfortunately, for OU fans. And that was just a thought. So do not rip me. I was just making a thought, folks. That's all I'm asking. Don't kill me for a thought. I dislike how he handled it just as much as every other Oklahoma fan. And I've hated on him just as much. We call him Mule Shoe for a reason. So, I mean, anyways. But so uh, that was cool, though. I did see that. It was really cool. It sounded super loud on the phone when I watched the video. Um, I did think, though, and we got to talk about this. This is part of the bad part of yesterday. As cool as the atmosphere was, and as oh, hot here we as go. it was, here we go. As hot, hot as it was. Oh my gosh. Like, I get the older people that fell out and, you know, all that type of stuff. God, I hope they're okay. It was super hot. But when you're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and you're griping about the heat, and you show up to a game, and you just walk out before halftime, and it's an 11-point game at that point, literally was a two-possession game when everybody started to leave. Not everybody. I'm talking about the student section. <laughs> I'm talking about the student section. This it's and it's not has nothing to do with the heat because it's a it's the same thing when it's 72 room temperature outside. They leave. Gotta go get ready for that frat party. Gotta go get dressed up. Gotta get ready to go for my night out. Am I wrong, Parker? You you were a student there just recently. I can tell you during my time in the student section back in the early two, people didn't leave. 
you just didn't leave. I think it. Go ahead. Defend defend the student section. Defend them. I'm not going to take a side here because. Oh, you freaking fence rider. (laughs) (laughs) I just I, I have no interest in perpetuating the discourse here because I think it's rather counterproductive and ultimately pointless. Like, here's the thing. If it becomes an issue, if student attendance and student engagement, i.e. the willingness to sit through four quarters of football, becomes an issue for some of the more important conference games down the line. It has. 2019 Iowa State. Now, I understand that. But again... We're talking about we're, – we're, we're, we're turning over a page. As of yesterday, the page has turned. This is the Brent Venables era. So I expect that for games that carry some weight, games that have significance and have meaning, the student section is going to represent well. Now, if that does not prove to be the case come October or, no, October or November, I'm perfectly willing to loop back around – and dive back into this conversation. Right now, look, I will say this. It was 93 degrees down there mm-hmm. at field level. There was no shade. Oklahoma was obviously going to win that football game. Yes. Am I saying I agree with the decision to leave? Not necessarily, but I will at least acknowledge that I understand the rationale. Right? No, so again, I get it, but if they yeah. hadn't left before halftime, I wouldn't have said anything. Yeah, again. It's Utah. It's game one. If it's an issue against Baylor, against Oklahoma State, heck, even against Kansas State later this month, mm-hmm. then I feel as though some chastisement would be in order. But as for right now, I'm not really worried about it because I think as the season gets rolling for Oklahoma, as they presumably kick off the campaign with a few wins here, uh, and start to look like the Big 12 championship contender and potential college football playoff mm-hmm. contender that we expect them to be, people are going to engage even more so than they already had. And there were 83,000 people in attendance for that game yesterday. The Sooners yeah. sold that place out, as they have for every home game since 1999. That's as long as I've been alive, by the way. So <laughs> God, I, I am not worried about the fan engagement and specifically the student section. It is not a lingering concern of mine. Let's revisit this. If we're still having these same concerns and we'll, and we're still broaching this topic come mid October, early November. Here's Here's what I think is going to be the key. And I'm going to give them next week because next week with the new led lights and all the flashing and everything, I think stripe the crowd the is going to be ruckus and it's stripe the stadium. It's going to be important that they stay at least through the third quarter. Nobody cares if they leave in the fourth quarter. No, if you left in the fourth quarter, nobody would say a word to you if Oklahoma's up. I promise you. But it's the it's just the history of it all. I think that upsets everybody. And I'm not the only one that noticed it. It was a strong topic of conversation in the press box. And mind you, everybody wants to sit there and say, oh, well, the press box, you're in the press box. Parker can vouch for this. We sit on the front row. And that freaking glass, <laughs> that sun, is brutal. It is just as hot 
or hotter than you all have a lot of places have in the stadium. Like we have to move our electronics away from it because of the overheating. There's no, no, because everybody freaking puts the dang uh, windows up and they just let the heat just resonate in and then you magnify the sun through it. Like I sat next to three people that lifted their window up and just let the air conditioning just go right out. And then the heat just, the heat from the sun, the rays is magnified on that glass. Like I had to pull my computer away from the glass about five times yesterday because it was giving me the overheat signal. So, I mean, I, I get it. I, it was hot. I was sweating in the press box. It was brutal. Now, if they didn't have the windows up, I wouldn't say anything because I wouldn't know how hot it was down there. And I wouldn't have anything to say, but my back was just soaking wet. Like, I get it. I totally understand the fans that that were like, dude, it's a blowout. I'm leaving. But a lot of them, like, if you looked from the student section to all the way to the south end zone, they all stayed. It was just the student sections. So that was that was just my little... And I probably wouldn't say anything, but it was just such a strong topic of conversation with everybody and a lot of fans as well that were at the game. They didn't like that they left. I will say this about the student section, and I will say this positively. When they are there and they are engaged, Owen Field is a whole nother ball game. And you've seen it in the Cotton Bowl, no matter how hot it is, no matter what the heat is it's been 95 degrees in the cotton bowl last year was brutal dude do you remember that i know you do because you were on the you were on the field oh yeah i remember it and i got good and sunburned uh yeah oh, it I was that. <laughs> like a strawberry that's right that's it right. was awesome though because that it was awesome that game was electric so it was worth see, sitting and that's that's difference. that's it and that's the other thing too like if you're they witnessing a, a game difference if you're witnessing a game that is riveting, right, you're not going to move. You're not going to budge from your seat. And so if you're watching a game that's worth sitting through, you're going to sit through it, and you're not going to think twice about it. Last year, when I think back to the Cotton Bowl, even though I got so sunburned, I don't, mm-hmm. think, how, I don't think about how hot it was that day. I think about how loud it was. I think about the ebb and flow of momentum. Mm-hmm. I think about the climactic end to that game when Kennedy Brooks sauntered into the end zone with a single second left and the sheer revelry that was occurring on the field in the aftermath as Oklahoma celebrated that victory. Those are the things that come to mind for me when I remember that game last year, not how sunburned I got or how hot it was on that particular afternoon in Dallas. So if you're watching a game that is legitimately engaging and that the average fan is going to somebody who's actually there to watch football as opposed to yeah. just get drunk is actually going to enjoy socialize. Yeah. Instagram. We were there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're there to watch football and you're treated to a football game, that is a phenomenal competition between two excellent teams, i.e. the matchups that we're expecting to see between Oklahoma and Kansas state, Oklahoma and Baylor, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State, et cetera, then you are not going to move for the entirety of that football game. You're not. No, I, I agree. I, I think 
my deal i i'm i'm a big and like i don't care about like the wins and losses i'm a big atmosphere guy like i like the atmosphere because i think college football is a unique atmosphere compared to any other sporting event it just is and the students make that atmosphere they do they do and that's where i'm coming from on this like and i don't think the students realize just how much of a difference they make in an atmosphere and those atmospheres if you're an oklahoma fan you don't think that that doesn't equate to better recruits you're wrong atmosphere sells it's a big selling point to not just recruits but just your university and when you're on national television at 2.30 in the afternoon, I know it's hot. I know it's hot. And I'm so glad that, and I hope everybody's okay that fell out yesterday, honestly, because I know it was hot. There was a lot of people that tried to stay, and it ended up costing them. And that's an unfortunate thing. But that atmosphere for the student section, they sell. They sell it because the TV is looking right at them all the time. That's where that, because it comes straight from the press box side, right? Right down onto the student section. And when they do close-ups, they don't ever go a lot to just random other. They always stick to the, the student section because the student section is where the action is a lot of the time. So I don't know. I, I, I think for me, that's what it is. I'm a big atmosphere guy. I love atmosphere, and I really wanted it to stay the way it was in the first quarter when it was just ruckus, at least for the majority of – the first half and I guess it did but like halfway with like I think it was like nine minutes left to go in the third quarter that student section just started just leaving in droves and I remember making a note of it on my pad and I was just like dude this is just nuts to me and I tried to see if they were going to come back and it just got more thin and more thin and more thin and I get it you tip but after everything Oklahoma's been through after the last nine months that's where and Venables came out and said it in the presser in the spring. Remember, we're going to give 100% of our time. We expect the fans to do the same. And I thought that that was lacking at that point yesterday. Now, the fans that stayed, they were loud. They were ruckus. They were loud, and they were awesome. So I hope this week against Kent State, and that's the only reason why I'm saying all this, folks, don't kill me. I'm just saying it because I hope you guys stay because it makes a difference for your university. And it makes a difference for all of us that love college. We have a passion for college football, Parker included. Parker will tell you the atmosphere is what makes it distinguishedly different, right? And when it spreads out like that and gets sparse, it kind of ruins the atmosphere a little bit, doesn't it? It does. It okay. does. That's and all I'm I... saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. By the way, did you, all, see, and that's, did you see the crowd that UCLA drew yesterday? Oh, my gosh. I saw Eddie's. <laughs> I saw Eddie's tweet. It's like you can't pay Eddie's people tweet. to watch football out in L.A. And they're a good team. That's the weird part about it. Like, they're a good team. Like, how, how do you not show up and support a good team? I saw USC was struggling, too, as far as attendance, I guess. And I read some of the comments and it was like, I, I actually made a comment on one of them because somebody said, well, because there's nothing to do in Oklahoma 
that is why. And of course, here I go defending my state. Like that's the one thing I'll do is I'll defend the state of Oklahoma, whether it's Oklahoma State, Tulsa, OU. I will defend. And when they said, well, this one guy goes, well, nobody from a major city goes to attend, has sells out eighty thousand seats for a college football game. We can, whether it's NFL or anything, week in and week out. I was like, yes, they do. Uh, Austin, Oklahoma City, and Norman. Uh, I forgot who else I named. I think I named, uh, oh my gosh, I named several big city universe. Oh, Columbus, Ohio, Ohio State. Like these are all big cities with lots of things to do. And yet they sell out their games each and every week. Dallas sells out the Cowboys each and every week. Like you can't do that. Like that's just stupid. That's a stupid comment to make. So no, I, I saw it. I thought that was just sad. And hey, Big Ten, you're getting them. Well, and you know the counterpoint. You have to plenty that of is... seats to go to for the for away teams coming in from Ohio State. Plenty of seats for you to have at UCLA and USC. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean the the counterpoint to that too is, heck, if you can sell out an eighty eighty five thousand seat stadium somewhere like Norman, Oklahoma, or Lincoln, Nebraska, or Iowa City, Iowa. Why can't you do the same in a place like Los Angeles, where the population density blows all of those mm -hmm. more rural locales away? All right, would you call Norman rural though? No, 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 no. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't call million, Norman rural, but people, I would say yeah. it's it is more so than L.A. Obviously. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I think Norman has the distinct, perfect location. That a lot of teams don't have with Dallas, Houston within a five, six hour drive, Dallas, two and a half hours, Wichita, Kansas, Kansas City, four hours. You know what I mean? Like they're within a stone's throw away from what 30 million people, like within like the I 35 corridor, probably. So, I mean, they're lucky in that aspect. Whereas Nebraska, I think your point on Nebraska is 100% valid. They're not a stone's throw away from as many people as Oklahoma. Oklahoma City and Norman is centrally located between some of the biggest cities in the United States and in one of the biggest cities in the United States as far as the metro area goes. No, Nebraska, give them props. Iowa, give them props for that. I mean, that that's that's amazing what they do week in and week out. Um, but yeah, anyways, let's, let's, let's talk about the game. Now that we digress for the first 10 minutes of the, uh, <laughs> then that's my fault. It's been, been a bit uh, longer than 10 minutes, but yes. Yeah. On the game. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, Hey, look, I, I want to say this about the game. The, the, we're going to talk about the good and the bad here. The good, in my opinion, was the intensity, the tackling, I thought the execution on the run game, because I think more so than what has been the biggest struggle for Oklahoma offensively over the last three years? Biggest struggle. I think it kind of depends on perspective. Some would what say the offensive line. Okay. Well, you're, you're, you're getting to my point there with that, that phrase right there. Short yardage situations. Is my is my what I think has been the biggest issue. They've struggled on fourth, third, fourth and short, third and short, second and short. I think 
they just have. They've struggled. They've struggled to get that two yards, that one yard that they needed to get. That was not a problem yesterday. If they needed one yard, they're getting four. And I know it was UTEP, but even against programs like UTEP, Oklahoma struggled over the last few years, right? Like, that's that's just been it. And it's not a Bill Beatonbow situation. It's not his coaching. His coaching never changed. He's been doing the same thing, strength and conditioning. That's a Jerry Smith deal, in my opinion. I think we saw that yesterday. We saw the new strength that the offensive line had. We saw the new toughness they had. And I thought that was one of the biggest things that just stuck in my mind. I was like, you knew they were going to get it. I think the the deal on the end, they, they ran Eric Gray one time. He got like six inches, right? They pull him out. They put Marcus Major in. He just blows right into the end zone. I, I thought that was just a, a, a stark difference. And even on the third and – I think it was a fourth and short. With Eric Gray, they put him in, and they needed one yard early. And it was like midway through the second quarter or whatever on the plus side of the 50 for Oklahoma. And he got like four yards. And the hole was huge. That, to me, was the biggest difference. There was an attitude to that offensive line. And I think you're going to see it more and more as they open up the offense because they were so bland yesterday. They ran very generic routes. They only tried to go over top twice. Like, they didn't do a lot of things that they're going to show. They probably won't show it a lot during Kent State either, folks. So you might as well get used to it. And the same, on the same flip side, defensively, and we're going to talk about the secondary too. Parker and I will discuss this in just a minute. But I thought even as bland as they were, Parker, they were still efficient. They were still doing what they had to do in the run game, and it paid off, and it showed. They established the run, and they were dominant because of that. And even with them establishing the run, they didn't have a long time of possession. Uh, UTEP was trying to get the game over with. They were holding the ball. They were waiting to snap the ball for down, what, five seconds left on this the play clock each and every time. And everybody wants to talk about the 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 defensive line. They were max protecting every play. And they still had six sacks yesterday. That, to me, is impressive. I thought that was very impressive. No, it was. And I think when you look at the offensive side of the ball for Oklahoma, what was undeniably impressive and one thing that you can isolate regardless of who the opponent is, is the Sooners were moving with tempo. And that same pace that we saw in the spring game was manifested yesterday on the turf at Owen Field. Once again, the Sooners moved very quickly on offense and as quickly as they move, it's going to present problems to even the best defenses in the big 12. If they can move at that pace consistently and establish that rhythm and continue to push the ball down the field. So if there was one thing that impressed me, it was the tempo and the way that the Sooners were able to maintain that whenever they wanted to, obviously things slowed down in the second half. The Sooners really didn't have a reason to, um, to push as much as they did in the first half because the game was well in hand and everybody kind of wanted to get it over at that point just because of how hot it was and the margin. Mm -hmm. But the tempo impressed me. Uh, the way that the Sooners controlled the game and controlled the line of scrimmage impressed me. Everybody ran the ball well from Eric Gray to Marcus Major to 
Javante Barnes and Tawi Walker. Gavin Freeman had the longest run of the day. There you go again. Another shout out to him on that one. But uh, between between the way that the Sooners controlled the line of scrimmage and the pace at which they were able to effectively move, particularly in the first quarter, I think you saw all that you needed to see from Oklahoma offensively. And defensively, yeah, they didn't show much because they didn't need to. And they played pretty soft in coverage. They got after the passer. Reggie Grimes had two and a half sacks. Probably should have been more like four or five if a couple couple things uh, bounce his way there, especially in the second half. But uh, R. Mason Thomas got on the field. He impressed. Only had half a sack in the scorebook was continually applying pressure. Isaiah Coe got one. Marcus Stripling had good reps. So again, much like I I mentioned on the offensive side, defensively, the Sooners controlled the line of scrimmage. And yeah, it was vanilla. It was a very vanilla day. And that word has been thrown around a lot on the OU Insider VIP board over the last 24 hours or so. But that's, that's what it needed to be for Oklahoma. You don't want to tip your hand too much against a team like UTEP. You just want to make sure that you stay comfortably out in front and you don't surrender any big plays. And the Sooners accomplished that. To my recollection, I think UTEP's longest play of the day was 24 yards on a busted coverage by Kendall Dennis. So the Sooners did not surrender any big plays and they remained in control on both sides of the ball, which is exactly what they needed to do, really all they needed to do yesterday. Yeah, what? So I I must have been walking down to the field at that point when Tawi Walker made the run. I'm trying to find it here. How long was it? I missed that. Say what now? Which which, which Tawie, run? You said Tawi Walker had the longest run of the day. No, Gavin Freeman did. Gavin Freeman. Oh, okay, I thought you said Tawi Walker. Okay. Um, gotcha. I'm over here looking for Tawi Walker. I was like, wait, what just happened here? No, I so I was walking down, and I know I saw a hold by I guess it was Savion Bird that I heard over the PA. Um, and I, it, the game likely should have been fifty-two to thirteen, and not obviously forty-five thirteen. But um, it is what it is. That's how that's how it rolled out. But I, I thought you know something you said there about the the. The 24-yard play. I'm trying to remember how many plays were over 15 yards. I want to say it was like two, right? Not very many. Not very many. Yeah. And you two, look three, at Gavin. Four, maybe. You look at Gavin Hardison's final line. He averaged, I want to say, 5.8 yards per attempt. Yeah, we talked Which, if about that's, that. If that's what you're doing to an opposing quarterback, you're going to win football games. Doesn't matter who it yes. is. And the fact that the Sooners really weren't playing defensively with a whole lot of urgency because they didn't need to, that leaves you a lot of confidence that when they do go up against a quarterback who can, and and not only a quarterback, but skill position players who can make them pay through the air. If they slip up, if they make mistakes, gives you a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to contain somebody like an Adrian Martinez or a Spencer Sanders, the way they contained Gavin Hardison yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I thought that you brought up the secondary and let's talk about that because there's a contingent of the fan base. I thought Oklahoma gave up far too much in the past game. I want to say 
grand total of what 280 yards passing correct 284 yard 88 yards something i think it's 288 right 288 yards passing you want to know how many attempts that took to get there you said it earlier 5.8 yards a pass attempt 50 attempts 50 attempts well sorry 51 attempts nope yeah 51 attempts 51 they were 31 51 for 288 yards the longest pass yard was 24 they were sacked six times six times in 51 attempts that's pretty freaking good especially when you're only playing zone defense you were literally and and ted roof came out you you heard him he came out and said that so they asked they asked him so what was your game plan and he said look utep likes to go over the top they had big plays the previous week i thought the best way and he said brenton i thought the best way to cover that was just play soft zone coverage and let our front seven go do work and that's what they did and in even with the front seven doing the work, they didn't do a lot of stunts. And that's something Brent Venables is known for. ton of stunts. They stunted some, but it wasn't notoriously like they normally do in Brent Venables' defense. They also didn't have those eccentric and wild, elaborate blitzes that Brent notoriously is known for. They were so vanilla, it wasn't even funny. Like, you could tell. They were just straight rushing the passer. One on one, trying to get to the trying to get to um, Hardison, and they they did quite a bit. There were so many quarterback hurries. There were six sacks. There was probably five other plays that Oklahoma could have intercepted the ball, went straight through their hands, and then Gentry Williams finally made the pick that helped. Those that have the betting line, <laughs> those were betting at the end of the game. They were like, thank you, Lord, Oklahoma covered. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it, it, to me, it was just, it was a great performance by the, I'm not great. I would say good performance by the defense. It was what we thought a Brent Venables defense would do. I mean, they had oh, I thought, what? Man, I thought you were about to launch into the, we are who we thought they were. Oh, uh green. Dennis green uh, yeah dennis green yeah yeah no they but they, they, had they are 20... who we thought they were i guess there we go and we let them on the hook <laughs> yeah. no uh they had 28 total rushing yards yesterday 28 by the way uh negative 35 rushing yards in the first half so a lot yeah, of that production that was, came that at garbage nice. time exactly exactly i mean that that tells you i had people tweeting me going the defensive line is not very good. They're too little. And I was like, what? Too little? This is the biggest yeah, defensive line Oklahoma's had in a minute. Yes. I mean, there are some yes. big bodies up front there. Yeah. Uh, Isaiah Coe, pretty big. Jalen Redmond put on a ton of weight. He's almost 200. He's almost 300 pounds now. Like, he came in, he was like 225, 230. And so, I mean, he's put on a ton of weight since he's been at Oklahoma. And I thought, I thought him, I thought Reggie Grimes, I thought Ethan Downs. Um, I thought Kelvin Gilliam was pretty good yesterday, actually. I thought he was rushing the passer really well. Man, he caused a lot of problems when he was in there. Uh, trying to think who else. I thought Jordan Kelly was pretty good. 
consistent. Just like every coach calls him Mr. Consistent. He was consistent yesterday. Um, I thought Danny Stutzman was phenomenal, by the way, yesterday. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was really, really good. I thought David Igwebu was really good. Um, and the secondary, Billy Bowman, was exactly what everybody said he was going to be. Everywhere. He was, what, second in tackling on the team? No, he tied for the team high in tackles with tied Danny Stutzman. Tied for the team high, that's right. Yeah, with Danny Stutzman. Both those guys are did a great job yesterday. Uh, I thought Jaden Davis, I think that's something we need to talk about. There's a lot of questions about Jaden Davis and what he was going to be. Is he going to be physical enough? Was he physical enough yesterday, Sooners fans? Because I thought he was very efficient tackling. He made one play yesterday where he missed a tackle trying to shoulder the guy out of bounds, and he ended up getting the first down. Outside of that, when he was one-on-one, there was a play I remember he held on for dear life waiting for everybody to pursue over and help him on a screen pass because if he hadn't done that, the guy's charging down the field about 30 yards. I mean, he was holding on for dear life to get that. And that's something you didn't see out of Jaden last year. I thought that those are the things Oklahoma fans need to put in their mind and be like, hey, this team is better defensively. They're more efficient tackling. They're more physical. Far more physical. I thought also um, people are asking questions about Justin Harrington because Deshaun White was out there so much. Again, base defense. They're not going to show everything against UTEP. As the season rolls on, and remember, they were playing Justin Harrington everywhere, right? So he's still trying to pick up things, whereas Deshaun was just strictly, he was he was your cheetah from the start. So he's going to know more, right? That's just part of it. Harrington is going to be a guy that is going to be hard to keep off the field as he gets more comfortable because for a long time they were playing him at corner. They were playing him at cheetah. They played him at free safety because Keith Lawrence was nicked up. I mean, there's a lot of things that they were doing with Keith Lawrence or with, excuse me, with Justin Harrington during the fall camp actually was a detriment to him, I thought. And I've been told it was by numerous sources. Now he's going to be focused solely on Cheetah, and that is going to help him out substantially. But when he was in there, Parker, I thought he was really good. Even in mop-up duty, he almost had an interception. Yeah, I mean, he was. And we've heard so many good things about Harrington dating all the way back to spring ball when he rejoined the team at the beginning of April. But again, I'm going to reserve judgment one way or another until we see Oklahoma play a football team that's close to on their level. But uh, you are no doubt encouraged more so than anything else yesterday. I think much, much like we were talking about, the one thing you can be encouraged about is the tempo that they played with. Another thing that you can be encouraged about on the defensive side of the football, if you want to look at the other side of the coin, is something you already mentioned, that is tackling. The Sooners tackled well. Mm-hmm. And if they continue to tackle well, they're going to be a formidable defensive unit because that's half the battle right there is simply tackling. Yeah, no. So if you had players of the game right now, if you had to name offense player of the game, defense player of the game, defense is easy. But offensive player of the game, who would you pick? Offensively, I feel it's hard not to say Braden Willis. 
as much as I want to, as much as I want to give Gavin Freeman his flowers, I do think we've given Gavin Freeman his flowers, but uh, Braden Willis had a huge day, played a lot. Daniel Parker did not see the field at all yesterday. Um, he was Caden in Helms. Wasn't he street clothes when he was yes. in street clothes, right? Yes. Yeah, Daniel Parker did not participate. Caden Helms didn't get in the game. Game. Jason Llewellyn had a few snaps mm-hmm. towards the very end, but Braden Willis played basically the whole game at the tight end position for Oklahoma, and he was phenomenal. He had two touchdowns, so I give him the nod on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, how do you say anybody other than Reggie Grimes with how dominant he was, man? I know. And I know. I know. Billy so Bowman and Danny Stutzman had great performances as well, but Reggie Grimes was a freaking force, man in the backfield seemingly every single play. I think that's the easy pick is Reggie Grimes is the defensive player of the game. I'm going to go. I wanted, I mean, you took Braden Willis, so that was probably going to be my pick. I guess I'll go Eric Gray. I mean, Dylan Gabriel was good. He was good. He was efficient. 15 to 23, 233 yards, two touchdowns was only sacked twice. He had a, a long pass play of 42 yards. Uh, he also ran uh, six times for 30 yards. So, I mean, he had, he had he had a good game. He had a really good game. Uh, but I thought Eric Gray, averaging 6.4 yards a carry, uh, 16 attempts, 102 yards, a long of 35. Uh, he didn't have a touchdown. Marcus Major had the two touchdowns on the ground um, along with Gavin Freeman. So I, I guess I'll go Eric Gray. The other, I, I, you can't really say, I mean, you want to say just because of the cool story that Gavin Freeman was the player of the game, but he didn't, he got what, one touch the whole game. So uh, can't really do that, but it was an awesome play. Probably the best play. I guess, I think that's the story we need to talk about. Um, Gavin chose to walk on at Oklahoma chose to walk on he had p5 offers folks much like drake stoops chose to bet on himself as a walk-on and the very first time he touches the ball he scampers 46 yards for a spinning tackle breaking pylon diving touchdown that everybody's going to remember because of who his dad was and the fact that the very first time he touched the ball he scored and he's an okay preps guy. So it means something to him. I asked him that yesterday. I said, can you put it into words? What everything means to you right now? He goes, man, as far as I can remember, I knew my dad played at Oklahoma, and I thought that's what I wanted to do. And when given the opportunity by Coach Venables to come be a preferred walk-on and earn my spot and try to earn that, that scholarship, he said, I jumped at it. He goes, things weren't going the way I wanted it to go at Texas Tech. There were some changes there. He goes, I decided to bet on myself, and it's the best decision I've ever made. He said the coolest part as well was that Matt Wells, who recruited him at Texas Tech, is now at Oklahoma as an analyst, uh, helping out with wide receivers on the offensive side of the ball. So I thought that was a very, very cool story. It was, sorry, you have to say. So, uh, sorry, I, I I didn't realize you 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 left the end of that sentence hanging as if you had no. One it, was a, final, it was a very cool story. One no, final punch. It was a very cool but story. Yes. Period. Very yes. Cool story. Yes, it was a very very cool story, and to see it happen for him 
in any capacity, his freshman year would have been awesome. But for his first collegiate touch to go for a touchdown and a touchdown that was that awe-inspiring, it was truly a fantastic football play by Gavin Freeman. He couldn't write it any better than that for the kid. And so, yes, he had the play of the day yesterday. It's the story of the day easily. Uh, the one time he touched the ball all game goes 46 yards to the house, spinning, breaking a couple tackles, throwing a couple stiff arms along the way. Um, now, now you, I think with Gavin Freeman, as you look towards the future and where he might fit into this receiver room for Oklahoma, the question becomes, can he build on this? Can he take what he just did with that one touch and can he turn it into another productive touch and another? Maybe it's four or five touches next week. Maybe it's seven or eight the week after that, the point where he is a key cog in this offense. I don't think that's out of the question because I think when you prove, as Gavin Freeman did yesterday, that you can make plays with the football in your hands, they're going to find snaps for you. So the jury's still out, I think, but it was a very, very strong opening act for Freeman yesterday. No, I I agree with you. Um, he's he just has that it. You watched him in high school, and I challenge everybody to go watch his huddle film. It's fun. It's really fun. The guy has a chance to be that special player for Oklahoma. I and he named it off. He said, "Look, I look up to the Drake Stoops of the world. I'm I'm similarly built to Drake." I'm similarly built to Hunter Renfro. He said, those are the guys that are built like me. They play like me. And I've got to try to live up to their standard and maybe better. And he goes, Marvin Mims is another guy that I'm built similar to. Not as tall, but built similar to, have similar game. And he said, between him and Drake, he said, I have the mentors that I need to be as good as I want to be. He goes, if I have questions about the about the the playbook, if I have questions about video or, or film or anything that's going on in practice, he said, those two are right there to help me. He goes, Marvin Mims is right next to me in the locker room. And he goes, and I ask him questions over and over. And he said, God bless him. He said, Marvin sits there and helps me as much as he possibly can so that I can be a better player. And he looks up to those guys. And I thought that was a really cool statement by him that he named the Renfros of the world, the the Stoops of the world, even Marvin Mims, like even though Marvin Mims wasn't a walk-on, he was a late take by Oklahoma, similar to obviously Drake and um, Gavin. So they're all kind of in that same little niche, even though Mims was a four-star, you know, highly decorated guy. Oklahoma pushed late on him and got him. But I mean, hey, what a cool story, and I don't think this is the last we're going to see of Gavin Freeman. I actually think he's going to be a mainstay. I'm not saying this year, but I think come 2023 season and on, he has a chance to be a very, very intricate part of the Sooners offense moving forward. He just has that. He's fast, man. That dude can fly. And he's hard to tackle. It's hard to tackle in the phone booth. So that's just uh, exciting to see when you get legacy guys to, to do those type of things, for sure. 
What um, if you had to name some young guys that stood out, whether in you know big time part of the game, very important parts of the game, or mop up duty, who would those be? R. Mason Thomas is the first one that comes to mind, obviously, with the exception of (laughs) (laughs) Gavin Freeman. Uh, We didn't get the chance to see Gavin Sawchuck. We didn't see Caden Helms. We didn't see Jaden Gibson or Nick Anderson. So some of those key uh, or some of those young, exciting freshmen on the offensive side of the ball did not get any run. We didn't see Robert Spears Jennings on defense. We did get to see Jaron Canick, and he looked good. He looked Mm -hmm. real good. So... Those are the, I think those are the two that I would probably name right off the top there are Mason Thomas and Jaron Cannon. Guys that, uh, yeah, well, how could I forget? <laughs> Gentry Williams cares about your money. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I <laughs> <He> did. <does. laughs> now, with Thomas and Canick particularly, and much like Freeman, if Williams can build off that big play he made, uh, mm-hmm. but with Thomas and Canick, I think. You're looking at two guys that have demonstrated throughout camp and demonstrated via their play on the field yesterday that they warrant a second look. They warrant a snap here, a snap there over the next few weeks. Maybe a snap here, a snap there against Kansas State when things really start to get serious and the rubber meets the road on September 24th because those are two guys that can contribute meaningfully in 2022 Mm -hmm. for Oklahoma. It just comes down to how they steward their opportunities as it does for any true freshman. So I'm going to be excited to see how those two can develop specifically over the month of September, because I do think they have a chance to be key pieces in the puzzle for Oklahoma defensively come October, November, and the meat of this conference schedule. Yeah, look, our Mason Thomas, man, he got after it. He's not your typical edge guy that you would see in Brent Venable's defense. Um, he is more of a stand-up guy, which you thought Clayton Smith would be that guy, right? But he struggled some. R. Mason Thomas has come in and just been that guy. I, I also think that, you know, there's something to be said about the evaluation that Miguel Chavis and Brent Venables did with R. Mason Thomas as – it's kind of funny. You talk to Danny Stutzman and he calls R. Mason Thomas Randall, uh, Randall, Marshall. Um, can't remember the other part of it. Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Randall, Marshall, Montgomery, Mason Thomas. <laughs> and he just makes up stuff. It, R. Mason Thomas really middle name is Montgomery. Uh, so is Ethan Downs, according to Reggie Grimes. So that's interesting. But uh, the the funny part is that, or the best part is, is that this guy has been a mainstay as far as from the start of fall camp to now, just being able to be that guy that everybody talks about. The guy that has stood out from day one. And everybody talks about R. Mason Thomas. And, what he's, and so we were like, oh, well, we've got to see it. Well, you want to see it. Oh, it was shown on Saturday. I know it was UTEP. And he's going to have harder and better blockers he's going to go up against. So that's going to be something to watch is 
is his development continue? Does he continue to grow as he goes up against stiffer competition? But I, I think he will because I think when you go up against the Wanyas of the Morris, the Wanya Morris of the world, the Anton Harrisons, the the Tyler Guytons of the world, you're going to be in the the Jacob Sexton's. You're going to be able to handle the opposing team's offensive tackles as well, because those aren't those guys are pretty good at tackle for Oklahoma, and so you're learning how to go up. That's probably why it was so easy for our Mason yesterday to just stand up and rush the passer. He just got after it. And he made some plays on the run game too. So he's, he's got a chance to be really, really special. I thought uh, you were right. He's probably the biggest standout defensively. Jaron Kanak as well. And even that play where he rushed the middle and got his legs pulled out from underneath him, put his hand down on the ground, stayed balanced up and still got to the quarterback uh, and caused an errant pass was pretty special and that's the type of thing i think we're going to see out of Kanak moving forward he has a chance to be one of the best linebackers uh, on that team i think as the year moves moves along i'm not saying that he's going to be a major player and performer and contributor against kent state or nebraska but i think as the year moves along and they have to start rotating guys because people get dinged up. Not so much dinged up that they can't play, but dinged up that they need depth and, you know, to keep people from, you know, injuring themselves more than they already are. I think you're going to start seeing the Canucks of the world in there and making plays. As far as Gentry Williams goes, he was there. He made a couple of plays. Uh, he was there uh, on a couple of pass plays earlier. He, he seemed to be in the right place at the right time. And then he was – perfectly positioned and where he was supposed to be on the interception and made the play a play that other OU players didn't make when it went straight through their hands earlier throughout the game. So I think this is a, a nice contingent of young players that Oklahoma has a chance to build upon, not just in 2022, as far as depth goes, but down the line when they become starters, you're starting to see, the potential of some of these guys. And I think that's something Sooner fans can be happy about, especially when you see how Oklahoma's recruiting in 2023 to add on to that 2023, 2022 class. So uh, I we didn't get to see Javante Barnes, like you said, very much. Yeah, four carries for 25 yards. He had he yeah. showed some nice burst, but yeah, yeah didn't, he did. didn't, didn't see the field a whole lot. Yep. So, and then Jaden Gibson was one I was shocked we didn't see. Uh, I, I don't know why. I don't think, I don't know why. I just, I don't, I really thought we would see a lot of him today or yesterday. So that was kind of shocking to me. Very shocking. Uh, finally, let's talk about some recruiting. Uh, Oklahoma hosted some recruits yesterday. Um, wasn't a lot of big names on campus just because of the time, uh, of the kickoff. So, and Oklahoma doesn't do a lot of official visits during the season. That's something they're going to, and when they do, they do the official visits, they're going to be on specific weekends. So I think October 15th, who is that the Kansas game? Is October Kansas 15th? game. So you're going to have the Kansas game. You're going to have Kent state game next weekend is going to have an official visitor to on campus. One specific Jordan Renaud, which I'll be out the night before 
seeing him play at Tyler Legacy and covering that and talking with him before he goes on his official visit. October 15th, and then obviously November 19th are going to be the big official visit. Now, the unofficials are going to be every weekend. It's just a matter of who can get where, the timing of the game. I think the OU-Texas game is going to be big. I know that Colton Vasek's going to be there for that, and I'm going to have a bunch on Colton Vasek and his recruitment and where things stand with him. Because there's a lot of buzz from certain side that Texas could has a chance has a chance to flip him. I did not get that vibe whenever I was there, and I'll have that on OU Insider VIP. You I don't know that there's that? a lot of there's a lot of buzz from one particular individual. Yeah, that's true, and that's about that's it. True. Yeah, he's trying to stir the pot, and it's not working out very well for him right now. Um, but we'll have a lot of recruiting notes coming on OU Insider VIP. Uh, we'll have a lot of team stuff coming. I've got my thoughts on the game coming up. Really deep in-depth breakdown on things coming up over the next 24 hours. Parker has his mailbag. So we're going to have a lot of information from the team side. Video stuff's coming. We've got a lot already up, but we're going to have more video breakdown of the interviews and all kinds of stuff on OU Insider. Um, so it, it's going to be a... Uh, a, a, a if you're not on OU Insider, you should be. Let's just put it like that. But as far as the recruits on campus, you have Xavier Sims, Jacoby Johnson, Jackson Arnold, um, Daniel Cruz, 2024 offensive lineman, four-star offensive lineman uh, was there. Uh, four-star defensive lines, Davian Sims was there. 2026, uh, rising star out of Durant, uh, Colton Yarborough was there. He's got a bunch, several P5 offers already. He has. He's only played a couple of, you know, games for Durant. So uh, there's there's a reason to be excited with him. Uh, so uh, th- that was about the list of big names. Parker Andrews was there from Norman North, a defensive end that I think Oklahoma will. I think he's going to be preferred walk on for Oklahoma and one. But I think he's a guy that his ceiling's so high. I think he could be a lot like several other preferred walk-ons over the years that Oklahoma's had that ended up gracing the field, <laughs> you know, in year one, year two. So he's got a lot of upside, really good player for Norman North. Uh, he was there. Uh, I think I said Jacoby Johnson, Cerner's commit, was there from Mustang, four-star athlete, defensive back. But there wasn't a lot. I think the next week, Kent State, you're going to see a lot of guys coming in, five-star Defensive back, we're the ones that first reported this on OU Insider. Five-star defensive back, Peyton Bowen, four star, 2024 four-star. Defensive back, Eli Bowen. Jackson Arnold will be there. We were first to report Jordan Renaud was going to be on September 10th uh, for his official visit. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more. We're going to have that list coming out throughout the week. Uh, so be sure you're on OU Insider VIP to get that list. We're going to have updates on recruiting throughout the week. We're going to have updates on team information. Throughout the week, because we got pressers on Monday and Tuesday. Once again, podcasting the weekly podcast on Wednesday will release on Thursday. Uh, so be prepared. Lots of information coming on OU Insider. As far as recruiting goes, Parker, do you have any? I know you were out and about. Any information you want to vaguely drop on this post game podcast? No, I don't think so. I think we'll save, and probably what we can do here on now, now that we're in season, is save the bulk of 
the recruiting notes and content that we have for the YouTube live stream, which is going to be every Wednesday night at oh, 8.30. Right. Yeah, so we will answer all of your questions on that. We may hit a few depending on who's going to be in town uh, in the pregame podcasts before each game. But uh, no, for the moment, uh, if you want the scoop on all things Oklahoma football and recruiting and you're not a VIP member, again, now would be a fantastic time to sign up. Yeah. And I don't want to steal your thunder here with the promo, Brandon, so you can go ahead and take the floor here. No, go for it, man. If you want to do the promo, promo it up, bro. Because uh, go for it. You go you do the promo. Okay. Well, for the price of a cup of coffee every month, $2 and change, you can get a full year of OU Insider VIP right now. Annual subscriptions are 75% off, which how long is that promo running, Brandon? Tuesday night. It ends Tuesday night. Okay, so you have two more days. You have 48 hours to sign up for OUinsider.com at 75% off. $27 gets you a full year of OU Insider. You will not find more or better OU football and recruiting coverage anywhere across the wide, wide world of the interwebs. So if you are not a VIP... Join the thousands and thousands over the course of the past year who have jumped on board with us and become VIPs at OU Insider. There has literally never been a better time with the dawn of the Brent Venables era. So uh, in addition to that, you stay on for a full year at $27. You re-up for an additional year at full price. You're also going to get Paramount Plus for free. So uh, if you're a movie buff or you like binge-watching shows old or current uh, you got paramount plus to look forward to after a full year with ou insider at mm -hmm. no additional cost to you so uh, that is did i did i leave anything out or is that the that is the skinny that is the skinny that's the okay. skinny one dollar for the first month if you don't want to do it 9.95 yeah, right. afterwards you can so. always take it for a test drive one dollar for your first month that deal is always on the table so if you don't want to commit to a full year, spend a dollar, get a month. We've had a couple members on the board in recent weeks say, hey, I signed up for a dollar and it didn't take me long to upgrade to the full annual membership. So uh, odds are you're going to like what you see. You're going to like the information you're being fed. And uh, we would hope that you stick around with us on an annual basis. Yeah, it, I think it's the community people that you guys don't understand that that aren't on it, but what you see on Twitter isn't even remotely close to what you get on OU Insider because there's a lot of people that are insider and inside the program. They get to be underneath the anonymous names and they post information that you won't find anywhere else. And and when you add that to what we provide as far as program and team notes and VIP stuff, you won't find a lot of other places. It adds up. So there's a lot of people connected to the program on OU Insider Let's start threads. You can comment on any thread. You can start your own thread. You can be a fabric of the community. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of members. Seriously, on OU Insider, it's not just a few hundred. It's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of members. So there's a reason why we're one of the largest 24-7 sites. And we take pride in that. We take pride in being accessible to you all. We take pride in being able to be reached if you DM us, if you PM us. If you, you're on the Twitter spaces with us, you know that we're open to talk to all the fan base. And we hope that that means something to you all in the end. And that's kind of our goal is to be 
part of the fabric of the fan base with you guys. Even though we're media members, we want you all to feel welcome to be able to ask us questions. And that's where the VIP chat comes in. That's where us answering questions and commenting on almost every thread on the board daily comes in. I mean, we try to do that for you guys on top of providing information every single day, multiple times a day in most most days. So you won't find that anywhere else, I don't believe. And if you do, please show us, and we will try to up our game even more for you, I promise. Uh, but yeah, 75% off, $26 gets you a full year. You get all of the VIP across 24-7 sports. There's 250 VIP sites on 24-7 sports. And for 20, 26 bucks, you get every stinking one of them. Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma State, Texas, USC, Ohio State, Notre Dame. If you want to go check out and see Texas A&M, you want to go see what they're doing, all you have to do is go click on their site, go to the VIP board, read their stuff. You get to be in the know. You're going to be one of the most <laughs> well-informed college football fans that there is. And we take pride in that. So, anyways... Uh, again, Oklahoma won 45-13, opening a Brent Venable season. Uh, real quickly, though, we didn't talk about it, and I wanted, we had it on a list of topics. The emotion that Brent Venables had. Speechless. I think you're, I think you're silenced, my friend. You're mute. Dang it, I, did, I, was, I was on mute. I was just going to say, you, you can't help but feel great for him. And you all saw the video on social media of him being presented the game ball by Joe Castiglione and getting choked up. Yep. And it's it's abundantly evident that Brent Venables is a guy that wants to be here and mm-hmm. is passionate about the University of Oklahoma and this football program. And that was very conspicuous in the locker room after the game yesterday. Meant a lot to him, and you could tell. Yeah, well, when Braden Willis yelled, I'd run the wall, I'd run through the wall for you, coach. So, <laughs> I mean, I think when you have a captain, a guy that's a leader of the team speaking up like that, and the rest of the team is going, yes, sir. You know, I thought that was really neat that the whole team backed Braden Willis' statement saying we'd run through a wall for you, coach. They love Coach Coach Brent Venables. They love uh, that staff, and it is so evident right now uh, how close that this team is. But anyways... Yeah, that's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners Post Game Podcast. For Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. You guys have a blessed day. We will see you guys on Wednesday for the YouTube Live. 